welcome back, everybody. It's Monday. Dominic, we start a brand new week. Yes. We just wrapped up UFC 255 Saturday night. How are you feeling at this moment, my good friend? I'm feeling very good because I think that this pay-per-view lived up to expectations. There was a lot of great fights on Saturday night. And we got an absolute bombshell of fights announced for the month of December, and I'm not quite sure what to do with my hands, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I want to start with your first point there. <laughs> Our expectations for this card were higher than most. Yes. Because we saw the potential. Yes, we did. We saw it so much so that we were threatening physical violence. Th this was you, uh, but yes. <laughs> yes, this is me. I And I, you know... <laughs> A couple people, nobody tested me on it. Because everybody knew that I was for real. You would have essentially put them to sleep. Yeah, with a smack. Yes, with a, with a slap. Now, for the casual viewer, though, or for any person, even a hardcore fan that felt like this card was underwhelming, I feel like it should have far exceeded their expectations. If you watch the entire card, I mean... Even if you like, even if you didn't watch the main card, you just checked out the prelims because maybe you had ESPN Plus or you watched it on ESPN Two. They were great. Mm -hmm. All, really, they were probably honestly. I think the prelims uh, as a whole probably out delivered the main card in some ways. Yeah, the prelims were very good, top to bottom. Yeah, but you also mentioned at the top here about all these fight announcements. Yes. And just so we're not here for three hours, I feel like it's only fair that we jump right in. So it's time for everyone's favorite segment. The news. The news. Let's go. I'm ready. Come on. Bring right. it. Come on. Go. We got four fight announcements for December 19th. Okay, I'm not ready to do this. <laughs> four of them. Four. Mind you, this is the card that's already headlined. Yeah. <laughs> it's already headlined by... Amzat Chimaev and Leon Edwards. Co-mained by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Jeff Neal. Right under that, or somewhere somewhere under that, <laughs> Arlen Marais, Rob Font. Yes, this is this is correct. But we got four fights to talk about here. We're gonna start at, at light heavyweight. Misha Serkinov versus Ryan Spann. Dom, those are two top 15 light heavyweights right there. Yes, they are. This is correct. So oh, give me your thoughts kind of on this potential matchup because we obviously had done our, our first episode of Who's Next was on the light heavyweight division. Don't think uh, – I'm not quite sure if you had uh, a Serkinov going up against Spain or not. I was but, about to say, one uh, of us may have had this matchup. It, it's possible. I – Span, considering he came off that loss in his last fight, and he's at 12 while circling off at 10, I don't think I would have put Span to fight ahead like this, but I'm all for it because Ryan Span, in my opinion, despite the fact that his chin has at times been susceptible, a lot of potential. He, has, he, he does show a lot of potential, and he has a fan-friendly style, I yeah. think. Yeah. More than anything. So if you want to give your thoughts on the matchup, it should be very interesting. Span, of course, is that really um, submission-heavy guy that we see, which you don't see much in the light heavyweight division. Serkinov, also you know, a big fan of the submission and just finishing fights in general. And um, 
a real staple. He's kind of been in the light heavyweight division for a while now. He's 34. Um, Ryan Spann's 29. Again, Misha's ranked 10th. Spann's ranked number 12. It's a fight that makes sense for both guys. Spann coming off the loss to Johnny Walker. Serkinov is coming off a win over your boy Jimmy the Brute Crew, but before that, also lost to Johnny Walker. So, um, I mean, it really makes a lot of sense stylistically. It should be very intriguing. Um, I don't anticipate it being as wild as Span and Johnny Walker was for the short time that that fight lasted. Uh, but this still could be a very, very fun fight. And it's important because after this, these guys crack into the top 10, uh, potentially even, you know, top seven, top five territory in terms of their next opponent. So it's a good fight. True, true, true. I think uh, this fight can actually do more for Serkinov than it can for Span because yeah. Span does still have, unfortunately, that baggage of that loss to Johnny Walker. So I think he's uh, not that the rankings ever really, you know, abide by the rules, so to say. But you know, you would like that. You would assume for at least the next, uh, I don't know, six months, eight months, whatever. That as long as you know Johnny Walker doesn't completely fall off the face of the earth, you would think that he would stay in front of Span. So as Span moves up, Walker might move up as well, um, or at least Span will be kept behind him. But for Serkinov, uh, you did mention that win over Jimmy Crew, which is looking better and better as Jimmy Crew, again, nice. ESPN MMA, named him number one fighter in the world under, or 25 years old or under. So he's looking like an absolute tank. Uh, Serkinov's always been kind of the model consistency in this division, I feel like. You have a lot of fighters here who have shown inconsistent performances, including our champion, Jan Blahovich. Yeah, very he, true. He is at times he is at times not put on the greatest of performances. Of course, lately he's been looking absolutely terrific. That's why he's got the belt. But Serkinov's always, for the most part, been that model consistency, notwithstanding, um, I believe, Johnny Walker... Uh, knocking him out in less than a minute but that can happen to anybody including ryan's band and this is interesting too because i just realized misha serkinov last fought against jimmy crude he submitted him but that was in september of 2019 so a long layoff here for serkinov where we're looking at span and he just fought <clears throat> a couple months ago he's going to be a little bit more fresh before september he fought in may of this year so this is going to be span's third fight of the year Whereas Serkinov hasn't fought in what would be 14 months by the time December 19th yeah. rolls around. So that could play a factor, too. It'll be interesting. For sure. We got three more fights, though, for December 19th. And, I mean, where do we start here? I think we'll go up a division and go to heavyweight. Just pick your poison. Uh, yeah, I mean, we get maybe two out of the way here. Marcin, Marcin Tibura versus Greg Hardy, a fight that... I'm questioning its placement. Um, I believe you told me as of now, it's looking like it's going to be placed as like the uh, the third fight of the main card. Mm -hmm. um, Tibera, kind of, he's kind of in that borderline top fifteen right now. Uh, Greg Hardy, kind of a bigger name due to his uh, football career and kind of the controversy that's followed him through his personal life. That you know, people questioning if he should really be given the opportunities he's been given in the UFC. But I'm not here to judge that, but Greg Hardy's performances have left 
something to be desired in pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. He's yet, for the most part, go in and have a clean win, and there's no controversy at all. Outside of the Contender Series, I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's in true. In the actual the UFC series. fights, there's been something odd or just a question mark around all of the fights. So Yeah, I mean, his debut was... He was a, a very much hyped-up fight on the very first ESPN card. Ends by him being disqualified for a nasty knee to the face of a downed opponent. And then you have in his last fight, he nearly missed weight. He would have been the first-ever fighter in the UFC to miss weight at heavyweight. You know, it's just it's always something. Then you have when he uh, won a fight. Uh, by decision showing that uh, his cardio had improved and all this, but however, in between rounds, he get, uses an inhaler, so the decision gets overturned. It's always something, yeah. right? Yeah. And you have to wonder how much of these incidents can really stack up before he becomes just not really worth the headache. <laughs> and really the fight without controversy or anything weird was his fight that he took on short notice with top-ranked Alexander Volkov. And, I mean, essentially he did look a lot better than I think you and I both thought he was going to look in that fight. Obviously, he still lost. But if we're talking the most normal, just seamless fight that he's had, that would be the one. So That was yeah, probably the stock that I honestly was... raised his – or the fight that raised his stock the most, really. That's what I'm saying. What's funny is is I think that loss has been his most impressive performance. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did come off a, a big win for him against Maurice Green, a guy who's fought in the UFC quite a few times. But even in that one, his cardio was very weak. I thought he ran out of gas pretty quick. He just loved that he was going up against a guy who kind of fell into the same trap that he was. And they kind of just had a sloppy rock and sock and robot type fight. And Hardy, you know, dude's a crazy athlete. So he's always going to have that power. I just... That Volkov fight, he showed me something, but I've in in these fights where he's going up against guys that are more closer to his skill level, he's not showing me that he's really elevating his game like he keeps saying he wants to do. You know, you talk about the pre-fight comments about he's not happy with his career so far, right. you give it a 4 out of 10 or whatever, but he's, you know, improved in this and that. I know everybody's improving. They're always working in the gym and uh, in fight camps, but he's just not showing me anything. And it's just when you have these weird incidents, like he's not, he's really, for the most part, not been like, you know, the personal stuff, like the real serious stuff that kind of followed him. He hasn't. That, you haven't had those kind of problems. We're not talking like a lot of stuff like Mike Perry's going through, but it's just these like headache incidents, you know, being disqualified, having a win overturned due to something stupid like using an inhaler, almost missing weight to be the first one ever a heavyweight. I mean, come on, this is it's getting a little embarrassing. That's that's the problem is it's becoming almost like an embarrassment to the organization to be continuing to give this guy high-profile matchups. That's just kind of my thought. Yeah, and and the guy that he's matched up with here, Marcin Tibera, a guy that's been top 15 before and uh, on his way back into that top 15, essentially after this fight, the winner of this, in my opinion, would crack top 15. 
This is going to be the biggest test of Greg Hardy's career outside of the Volkov fight. Um, And Tibura has proved that he can go the distance. He doesn't necessarily get tired, maybe slows a little, but we see that a lot with heavyweights. But for the most part, he stays very consistent throughout all three rounds, uh, sticks to a game plan. If he gets a finish, he gets a finish. If not, he's going to do what he has to do to win. Um, So he's an intelligent fighter. And this this is an interesting matchup here. We're talking a very I, calm, collective, like I said, game plan specific fighter, fighting guy like Greg Hardy, who has shown he's gotten more calm. He doesn't just go in and swing crazy, but at the same time, he does still do that if it gets a little too uh, out of his control, I guess. If the fight isn't going yeah. how he wants it to, he's going to start swinging. So this is a very interesting fight here. Yeah, and my my last point that I'll make before we move on is... Uh... Tibera in his last fight, which we just talked about not too long ago against Big Ben Rothwell, that was a fight that uh, ended up far exceeding our expectations. Yeah, that was a really good fight. And Tibera showed me quite a bit there when you're talking about getting into those later rounds because he's always had a questionable gas tank. Yeah, he looked very good as that fight went on. He got a lot crisper, um, just was landing the better shots, was tiring out Rothwell, who's another experienced vet. That was an impressive performance for Tibura. Yeah, definitely Hardy's toughest matchup since Volkov, and um, I'm excited to watch it. I, I just am skeptical. It's just that's just the way I get with Greg Hardy fights nowadays. Yeah. But we move on to a couple more announcements here for December nineteenth. Chaos Williams. Oh. He's been he's been the talk of the town. Oh man. That knockout over Abdul Razak Al Hassan. 30 seconds the guys had two two ufc fights two highlight reel knockouts he's been in the cage for less than a minute he gets his third fight here oh and listen this guy's name's chaos but he's going up against the personification of chaos if you look up the definition of the word chaos i'm pretty sure a picture of michelle perea um shows up yes you are correct. And this is our fight night prelim headliner for December 19th. A big platform for both these guys, a big stage. This is a big opportunity for both guys. Um, Herrera, he's had an interesting run. You know, he, he dominated Diego Sanchez to kind of start the year off. Unfortunately, he landed a knee when he was down. Got disqualified because uh, there was some weird stuff there. The ref kind of like almost like goading Diego into like stopping the fight. It was a mess. But Pereira has shown since then that just, again, that wild man style has been working for him. But he goes up against Chaos Williams, who, look, um, you know, I know we try to be uh, skeptical. Not I want to say skeptical, but we try to be more realistic and not just jump on hype trains and. You know, I really like to see these guys earn it before we just, you know, rule out the red carpet for them, so to speak. But this guy, I think, is for real. Chaos Williams, not just the, you know, obviously the two finishes and the highlight real way they happen. In fact, it's been under a minute in the cage. But it's also uh, his character speaks a lot. The guy is very much got that 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 mentality of like a, a true fighter, but also like a, a champion's mentality at the same time. Yeah, he's very well spoken, yeah. very articulate guy. Yeah, respectful guy, 
well-spoken, like you said. Dresses nice. Had that uh, sweet-ass suit in his most recent fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also a little level of swagger to him, you know? It's like that perfect mix of everything that makes him a very good personality, a very cool character, and really going up against a guy that kind of has the same thing. Um, again, this is a Brazilian guy, so a little harder on the English speaking, but respectful guy, but knows how good he is, um, is not afraid to showboat and show off in the octagon. Definitely does more of that than Chaos Williams. But Chaos Williams hasn't really had the chance to do that because he just KOs people in like 10 seconds. So <laughs> this fight is going to be what we love to call beautiful chaos, Noah. Yes, and we, and you know, hey, look, chaos... <laughs> not just because of his name, yeah, right. but it will be beautiful chaos by the style as well. I I think what's going to be my question going in here, um, again, we have seen so little of Chaos Williams in the Octagon. Sure, two highlight reel wins. Can't If the guy's finishing people like that, who, who's going to say anything? Right. But Michelle Pereira has proven he's battle-tested. He's proven that he can go three rounds with that wild style that he has. Chaos Williams has shown to be a little bit more calm of a fighter. Yeah. More composed, I and, guess. And he just lands that word. one shot, man. Yeah. So it, 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 it lends itself to a very intriguing matchup. And really, I, I just want to see more of Chaos Williams' skill set. Yeah. I want to see what else, you know, obviously he's got the knockout power. Uh, I kind of want to see him be tested here. And a guy like Pereira can definitely bring that out of it on paper this should be a great test for both men but when they step in the octagon if someone gets knocked out within the first 20 seconds i wouldn't be surprised so <laughs> yeah, it's one of those completely fights. Agree. completely agree now for the big one for december 19th one we've already we mentioned a little yeah we have mentioned it before uh, uh it was originally being talked about being on this card that just happened right yep yep was originally being discussed for UFC 255. Um, those talks kind of quieted down almost immediately after we brought it up on the podcast. But talks heated back up. It's official for December 19th. Look, what again, I just want to reiterate. <laughs> yeah, this is the all fights we've, The fights we've already mentioned. Hamza Chimaev, Leon Edwards is headlining. Co-main, Wonderboy Thompson, who's fought for the belt twice, going up against Jeff Neal. An absolute killer. Then you got Marlon Marais, Rob Five, Jose Aldo, perhaps the best or second best featherweight of all time, yep. currently at Bantamweight, going up against Marlon Vera, the guy who stopped the Sugar Show himself. Yeah. It's on this card. This it's already this, stacked. This is this is unfair. The fact that this is free television. Lights up my world. It makes my heart happy. Yeah, it mostly free. It mostly free. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, it, it, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> For this matchup, Dom, you know, Marlon Vera, this guy has definitely had that um, journeyman label. I've been seeing him fight on, you know, these... Uh, on fight pass and stuff for years now. Basically, I mean, since I started watching, uh, when I would go back and watch fight nights, he's been on these fight night main cards for since 2016. Uh, win some, lose some. Um, I remember 
one of his big moments being that uh, he was Brad Pickett's retirement fight, I believe. He actually knocked out Brad Pickett with a head kick in the third round. Uh, that was like a great performance for him there. Then he was put up against Sean O'Malley, who, you know, uh, was a huge hype, hyped up star in the making. You know, going into that fight, you know, Sean O'Malley's releasing the merch, the O'Malley jerseys, uh, selling out in 10 minutes or whatever it was. Madness. Everybody thought this guy might be the next Bantamweight champion. Yeah. O'Malley gets injured, but I still stand by it being due to the kicks of those calf kicks by uh, Cheeto Vera. I agree. He finishes, finishes the fight in the first round with some nasty elbows on the ground. He gets his biggest opportunity here of his entire career against an absolute legend in Jose Aldo. Yeah, and I believe if it wasn't for... um, (coughs) Now, I don't remember this fight too particular off the top of my head, but um, Marlon fought Song Yadong in what has been labeled as a very controversial decision. And I believe that if if Shido would have won that fight, he'd be on a five-fight win streak right now. So yeah, he, he it, it had every right to be controversial, controversial to people because um, look, all respect to Song Yudong, another guy that was on that uh, top twenty-five fighters, twenty-five and under years old, but he lost that fight. And Marlon that fight Barrow. even happened at featherweight too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you might be right. So technically, at bantamweight. Cheeto Vera's on a four-fight win streak here. Um, now he's officially ranked 15th, coming off that huge win that got his name out there. Also got some embedded time uh, for UFC Embedded this past week. He's in the corner of Alex Perez, who fought for the title. Um, so Cheeto Vera has really uh, become uh, a very much popular name. Or not, you know, not superstar status, but he's just popular now, which is good for him. It's uh, long overdue. It seems like he's been fighting and just such a veteran, and he's only 27 years old, which is crazy. And now he has this fight with Jose Aldo, one of the best fighters of all time. Was in my top 10 list back back in the day. Seems like forever ago when we made that. Um, Jose, of course, jumped into the Bantamweight division, had a controversial loss to Marlon Marais. It was so controversial that Dana White thought he won and gave him a title shot against Peter Jan. Jose looked very good early on against Peter Jan before Jan really pulled away and dominated the latter half of that fight. So for Cheeto Vera here, he's fighting a legend that, again, was like unbeaten for 10 years when he was the featherweight champion. And now coming off of a title fight in the Bantamweight division, this for Cheeto Vera is huge, huge platform for him, and it's very well deserved. I agree. It's his biggest test by far. It's definitely, on paper, an uphill battle, considering, you know, Cheeto Vera's record in UFC is not unblemished. You know, he's had a couple of losses against lesser talent than Jose Aldo. But we we need to accept something right now. Aldo has looked good at Bantamweight, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. He has still not won at Bantamweight. Yep. And that, and I'm not saying that to take anything away from him. I'm just saying you almost have to wonder, is there a mental side of this for Aldo? Can he get in his own head almost? Yeah. Seen it before. Look at what McGregor kind of did to him at featherweight. He really, has 
after that knockout was just never really the same. Quite the same. It's like he lost his confidence there. So now you have a, you have him here where that that Jan fight. Yes, he did look good early. I agree. But the way he was pretty much handled yeah. later on in that fight, beat down, was pretty brutal. Yeah, could have been stopped earlier than it was. Yeah, got dragged out to the beginning of the fifth round. Probably should have been stopped in the fourth. But it's neither here nor there. Just you you got to wonder if he might be in his own head here going into this matchup where it's kind of a must win for him to to stay afloat in this killer's row of a division at Bantamweight. Yeah, this Vera, is... In my opinion, Vera's got nothing to lose here. No, not at all. And, and Aldo essentially has everything to lose. Yes. Um, this would be... I mean, he's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, maybe even... Did he lose again before the Volkanovski fight? Or do you know off the top of your head? To... Wait... Did who lose? Jose Aldo. Did he? Does he have another loss right before the Volkanovski fight, or did he have a win going into that? Do you know? I want to say because uh, what I was going to talk about, he he did beat uh, Jeremy Stevens with that nasty lifter shot. That might have been his fight before Volkanovski, and then it, so now it, Aldo's on a three fight losing streak, all against top tier talent. By the way, I I will say that. But now we're talking, if he were to lose to Cheeto Vera, no disrespect to Cheeto Vera, but he just cracked the top 15. He's been that, you know, just a journeyman style so far, even though he's been on a tear lately. So, yes, this is made for Vera to have a showing out party. And for Aldo, even if he were to win, it's like, does it do that much for him besides just say, all right, he's still got a little gas in the tank? I mean, outside of that, it doesn't do much for him, you know? It doesn't, but I I think it's a... If, let's say, this fight goes how, you know, on paper, I guess it should, where Aldo would kind of dominate this fight, it's got to be one for his confidence. Yeah, for him, on a personal level, it would probably be an incredible win to have. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he is a big enough name... Where look, Dana gave him a title shot coming off of a loss. He's still at number seven. There's big matchups still there for him. I mean, we've been talking about the Frankie Edgar matchup. That would be so cool. You got a guy, a guy like Pedro Munoz, plays straight in front of him at number six. I like the idea of that one. It's there's options for him. It's just a matter of getting you know taking it one fight at a time. He's got this matchup here with Cheeto Vera. If he were to lose this. Then you gotta start asking questions, especially if he were to be finished. Yeah, and this is a guy in Jose Aldo who only is thirty-four, which is also just mind-blowing to think about. But he yeah. has contemplated retirement in the past, so yeah. I I wouldn't, you know, he probably is kind of on that fight-by-fight fight mentality right now. Like you said, a lot of this is a mental thing for him, anyways. So uh, it's a, definitely a very interesting matchup for so many different reasons for both guys. Yeah. Agreed. Another fight, uh, by the way, that um, I just thought of. Didn't Jose fight Hinato Moicano somewhere in there? He did, yes. Not sure the timeline. I, I think yeah. that might have been the one before Volkanovski. Okay. I could be wrong. But I, if I remember right, that was on one of the very first uh, ESPN cards. Right, right. So I, I think that would have been. And then I think before that's when he fought Jeremy Stevens. So gotcha. 
that's kind of your timeline there. But still, three-fight losing streak. He's lost both of his fights at Bantamweight. This is a big one for him. Yes, yes. So those are our fights for December 19th. I can't imagine we're going to get any more fight announcements for that card because it is, it, it's literally a pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's a six-fight main card, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, which we love that. We do love that. Now, we're moving on to the actual pay-per-view, UFC 256. Another card that's being slandered by the public. Which, by the way, takes place before this incredible fight night. It's a week before on December 12th, which is mind-blowing. This is true. This is true. And I'm still, again, I'm not going to stand for the slander. There are very good fights on this card. Yes. However, with that being said, i got to start on a somber note. Yeah, we did have a little hit to the card. Another hit, I should yeah. say, to the card. Yeah. Uh, this card has been having some troubles, to say the least, when it comes to its title fights. We started with uh, the Kamaru Usman-Gilbert Burns title fight. That one falls off. Then you get Megan Anderson versus Amanda Nunes at featherweight. That one falls out. Then we had Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, very hyped, bantamweight title fight. Now that fight is unfortunately off of 256. Um, Yan is dealing with some sort of an injury, so he will not be able to defend his belt against Sterling. We lose our headliner. But, Dom, the question I propose to you here. Yes. Voice crack, apologize. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with it too. Aljamain Sterling tweeted today. This is being recorded on Sunday. Yes, he did. He tweeted about potentially an interim title fight. He did. And I'm, you know, I'm on board with it. I, you know, I, I understand uh, if if he hadn't said that, and I would say no because I feel like he's earned his undisputed title shot and I don't think he needs to fight for an interim belt. But to me, this guy wants to fight. And there's only one person that makes sense, and it's probably not who most would say because the name that would make sense is Corey Sanhagen, the guy who looked great against Marlon Marais. But Aljamain Sterling ran through him like he was nothing just a few months ago. Yes. So I propose that if they were to do an interim title fight at Bantamweight on this card. Aljamain Sterling versus Frankie Edgar, I think, would be a great matchup for that co-main or main event slot. Aljamain, the obvious number one contender. Frankie Edgar, ranked number five, had a great win in an awesome fight against Pedro Munoz back in August. Maybe September. I think it was August. I don't know. Frankie Edgar, a legend of the sport, a big name, a guy who always brings it. I think that could be a great fight, and it could really boost this card. We are only three weeks out. I don't know if that's that 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 may be just too close to the sun for someone like Frankie, who has fought at lightweight and then the featherweight and now at bantamweight. So you know, it, it it's starting to get to a point where he's really cutting weight. Uh, I don't know if he is quite up for that weight cut with it being so close, but just me spitball on here. What do you think? I mean, to your point, 
Aljamain is the one that Aljamain is the one that tweeted, you know, interim question mark. So clearly he has someone in mind. And if we're talking like who it would be against, there is no one else that it could be against outside of Frankie Edgar. Like you said, Sterling starts Sanhagen a couple months ago, so you can't do that. Marlin just lost to Sanhagen, so that would make zero sense. Cody is injured, or else I would say that would make the most sense, but he's injured right now and supposed to fight at Flyweight in March. So then you're at number five, Frankie Edgar. That's like the, that, that is theoretically the only one that would make sense if they were to actually do an interim title shot. However, love Sterling. And I, I'm all for him calling it out and, you know, just wanting to fight. But I just don't think it's going to happen. Hopefully, whatever the issue was with Peter Jan, I don't know if it was personal reasons, if it was injury, whatever the case may be. Hopefully, it's not a long layoff. Hopefully, we get this. Maybe that's our, you know, February title fight. You and I were talking about how the month of February, that fight card is already coming together nicely with those two fights. And it's looking for a title fight. So maybe it takes place then. Um, this definitely sucks because we have all been waiting for this fight. Even, you know, the casual viewer might even have a hint of curiosity about this fight. That's how I think big this fight really is. For the hardcore, passionate MMA, MMA fans, we've been ready for this fight for a very long time. And now it just gets delayed again. It's really pulling with our heartstrings here, Noah. It really is. This end of your card is just really having troubles securing its main event and securing that title fight to really to really bring home the big bucks you know that it that it you would like to see it get right especially when you have a fight night the week following that is insane you know look it's the most stacked fight night ever i said that not too long ago about a card headlined by tyron woodley and colby covington Mm -hmm. still stand by that comment i made then but they just topped themselves again Yeah, the ufc said bet when you have a when you have a fight night that's stacked immediately following a pay per view that is it's still good but it's just not at that it's really not that it's not as stacked as that fight night is it's just that's just the truth and uh you it's just you know it's sad that it's kind of having these troubles. But it's but, not all lost because we got a couple of big fights here. We've got announce. two things that have really thrown some <laughs> uh, tricks out there for us to enjoy. So we lose our headliner, but we gain a headliner and a co-headliner. <laughs> we'll start with the co-main here. Ooh, tell them. Tell them um, what it is. El, El Kukui, Tony Ferguson, the man who made the hype video. He called out Michael Chandler, said, let's fight at UFC 256 in three weeks. Michael Chandler says, 0% chance. Be realistic. Let's fight at 257. We'll be the co-main of the Connor Dustin card. Me and you both said, that's what's going to happen. Well, guess what? We were wrong. We were wrong. He's co-maining UFC 256 against the most underrated lightweight, in the entire division, Charles Oliveira. Dom, this matchup is literal matchmaking perfection. This is insane. I cannot believe that this fight manifested out of thin air. Literally, it's a fight. never I, saw it I, I, I never would have thought it would have been made. I really wouldn't have. Not at this point in time, no. 
this came out of nowhere. It dropped at like 12.30 a.m. Brett Okamoto, shout out to you, my friend. You are the real MVP. (laughs) This fight is insane. Tony Ferguson is the most intriguing, interesting, versatile weapon in all of the lightweight division. Charles Oliveira is a true veteran, been in the UFC for years, and he's only 31 years old. He's the all-time leader in submission victories in the UFC. He's on a seven-fight win streak. I am so happy that he gets this platform against Tony Ferguson. This is fantastic for Oliveira, who, before this, by the way, was scheduled to fight number 12-ranked Benil Dayush. No shame to Benil, by the way. We love him. But come on. Come on. Put some respect on my man's Charles Oliveira's name. And here he is. He gets a co-main event. Tony Ferguson. And for Tony, this dude is just a savage. That's all I can really say about Tony. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, he does not care. He fought Justin Gaethje on short notice and cut weight twice within like two weeks. Tony Ferguson is just built different. You know, that's a thing that the kids these days pass around. No, this is the definition of Tony Ferguson. He is built different. Okay, I'm going to pass it to you now. I need to take a breath. Okay. You're right. Uh, we do love Benio Darius, but this is why this matchup is so, was so surprising for me to hear be announced is because uh, only Vera had looked like he was continuing to be underrated. You just mentioned seven-fight win streak. He's ranked sixth at lightweight. Being matched up with a guy ranked 12th, you would think he'd be looking ahead to one of those top five guys, maybe a Dan Hooker or someone like that. That was the fight we were thinking was most realistic for Oliveira was Hooker. Yeah, and uh, instead he gets the boogeyman himself, Tony Ferguson. And this is a, a matchup where these guys' styles really mirror each other very well. They are both... Just very well-rounded. Obviously, the jiu-jitsu for both these guys. Say no more. Charles Oliveira is the most dangerous jiu-jitsu guy in that whole division. Tony Ferguson ain't far from it. When it comes to the striking, Oliveira's came leaps and bounds. Guy's been fighting the UFC since he was a youngin' back in, like, 2012. Yeah, don't back sleep then, on Oliveira striking. Now, back then, you know, he, he, he had, you know, the noodle hands and stuff. Wasn't really much with the punches, always trying to get the fight to the ground. No, he'll knock you out now. Two of his he last three afraid. wins via KO, TKO. Exactly. Tony Ferguson, you know that guy will go to war. He will go to war. I'm convinced. And he's proven, look, Tony Ferguson may not have, and Oliveira may not really have it either, that like one punch KO power. But what they have is that punches and punches that precision that you really need to have that sustained impact when it comes to finishing fights the way they do. Yeah, Tony Ferguson has a way to just slice and dice people up until they essentially are just a a puddle. I mean, he he decimates people and makes you just not want to be in there anymore. His fight with Gaethje that he had back in May was just brutal. Um, a lot of people, I think, forget that he was about 10 seconds away from finishing Gaethje in that fight, by the way. Gaethje was essentially saved by the bell with a vicious uppercut that Tony landed. Um, and before that, Tony was on a 12-fight win streak. I think everybody knows this. Tony Ferguson took shots in that Gaethje fight that no other man can take. 
I'm convinced that Tony Ferguson's head is made of pure iron steel. Um, <laughs> this fight is bananas. This fight is insane. If it could be five rounds, I would be so happy. But it's probably a good thing it's only three because this is going to take years off of these guys' lives. This is going to be an absolute war. I'm so excited to see how this plays out because there's so many different things that can happen in this fight. It's crazy. And I, I think a question that we, we haven't brought up yet, but that a lot of fans are going to be wondering, is did that Justin Gaethje fight, is it going to have a sustained impact on Tony Ferguson's career? Yeah. He obviously never ended up being finished in the in the normal sense, you know, not the, he wasn't knocked out or TKO'd, but the ref had to jump in and stop him, basically save him. Yeah. Because he was being beat up. It was bad. The amount of shots, the power shots he was taking to his head, it can't be good. But you have to wonder what kind of what kind of Tony Ferguson are we going to see here? Is that like is that fight going to be kind of that point in time? Is it going to be where we point to a few years from now and go, "Yep, that was where the decline happened." Right. Or does he get right back on that horse, bounce right back, and put on a performance that just once again proves why he's one of the best in the entire division against another one of the best in the division? And for Charles, I mean, again a huge opportunity for him and regardless of the questions about Tony Tony's still again like you said before the Gaethje fight 12 fight win streak against some of the best that the division has ever seen yeah Oliveira's given a huge opportunity here I I just love I, you know we, me and you when we were talking texting about it it was like Okay, my head says this guy, my heart says this guy. Yeah. And I said, I don't know which part of me says what. Yeah. I love both these guys. I want both of them to win. I know it can't happen. I just, I, it's going to hurt me to watch this fight and I'm going to love it at the same time. Exactly. That's the beauty of the sport. Yep. Then, new main event. This ties in a so, little uh, to our recap, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, it does quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll try to choose our words carefully, so we're not uh, getting ahead of ourselves with the recap. But uh, there was a main event that happened Saturday night: men's flyweight Davidson Figueredo with an amazing guillotine finish over Alex Perez. But um, Dana said afterwards that. Uh, he wanted to turn Davison around in December for Brandon Moreno. Davison called out Moreno because Moreno fought as that fight night, as the, uh, excuse me, uh, the prelim headliner against Roy Val. Picked up a big win at the end of the first round there. Moreno said, what else have I done? What else can I do to earn a title shot? Essentially trying to say don't have Cody jump me. Yeah, exactly. Davison wins his fight, calls out, or doesn't call out, but he essentially says, I want Marino next. They're turning around and having this matchup headlined the card in December, three weeks after they both just fought on Saturday. Dom, um, I know you have some, you're, I know we love the matchup. This is ultimately what should have probably been the matchup yeah. that happened Saturday night. Yeah. 
no disrespect to Alex Perez, but Moreno has proven to be the number one contender, and he just sustained that with another big win. Dom, I know you have some uh, – there's some concern here. Now, I'm just going to – so, it's good from this standpoint. We get the fight that should have already happened. We get it to where whoever wins – Cody Garbrandt said he's not going to be ready till March. So, essentially, the timeline lines up for the winner of this to still have a little time off and train and fight again in March or April. So, that's all good. That's all gravy, baby. But, oh, and also, Moreno took essentially no damage. He had a wild fight with Roy Val, which we'll get into for the actual recap. This is why it kind of sucks. This comes up now. But he essentially took not damage. He got hit, but he didn't take a lot of damage. Figueiredo essentially didn't even take a punch. I don't think. He might have ate one really good shot, but other than that, he dominated. He won in like two minutes. So that's all good. But if you guys don't know, Davison cuts a lot of weight. He's a big boy. I foresee him going up. Yeah, I foresee him going to bantamweight in the future. Um, He didn't look good this week. He, He is just a guy that I think doesn't look good when he cuts weight simply because he's so lean to begin with. Like, he's a big guy, but he's really lean and muscular, like no body fat. So that's probably why he looks worse than others. Like, physically, when you look at their face, they just look drained. Um, So my only concern is that this fight is in three weeks. Joe Rogan last night on the broadcast said, Wow, I'd love to know what Davison weighs right now. I bet he weighs 150 pounds. And I was like, huh? Um, now, for anyone who knows, these fighters all put on a ton of water weight the second they step off the scale on Friday mornings. Um, but I, the good thing here, so there's, that's the negative. I'm just worried about him turning around in three weeks and doing another weight cut. However, they're going to keep him in Vegas. Uh, Dana said they're not going to go back to Brazil. They're just going to stay in Vegas. They've got the PI there. They've got all their nutritionists. So ideally, during this three-week period, they kind of just monitor him heavily because the UFC knows that this weight cut has sucked. He's missed weight before, just this year. So if they can just monitor him and help him nutritionally, essentially since he just fought, he shouldn't gain that much weight, you wouldn't think. So even if he is like 150, he would have three weeks to do that 25-pound cut, which is better than doing 35, 40 pounds or however much he weighs. So that's my only concern. However... He took the fight, so clearly he thinks he can do it as well. And this is incredible. Thank you for saving the day. This is awesome. This is a fight that needs to happen. Again, neither guy took much damage, which we'll talk about here shortly. I love it. I love it. I love it. 2020 is the year of the quick turnaround, and I hope it just continues to become a mainstay in the UFC. And a couple of notes here. This is the first year... That assuming this fight takes place and everybody makes weight, goes through his plan, 2020 will be the first year that four different cards were headlined by the flyweight title. Which Two is fight night cards and then back-to-back pay-per-views. Figueredo is quickly becoming a star in this yeah. uh, sport. Yes, he is. And my other note's going to be, if he wins this, he is 100% fighter of the year. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yes. For sure. And then, and you know, it's hard It's hard right now because Moreno has looked so good. But when you have someone like Figueredo who just absolutely, he's so mean, he just kills everybody. 
you have to know that Moreno is on an uphill battle. Again, that's what I keep using. It's 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 going to be interesting considering both these guys have these quick turnarounds in less than a month. Seeing kind of how they adapt to that, you know, that's not usually how it would go. But so much interesting about this. I mean, literally, we're going to see back-to-back pay-per-views headlined by the men's flyweight belt. This yeah. division was nearly cut two years ago. When's the back last time in general that the same guy or girl has headlined back-to-back pay-per-views? Think about it. It, ha- it has not been, I guarantee, since you're talking the mid-2000, 2005, 2006, when they were having seven, eight cards a year. Yeah, Davison... So they weren't even doing a monthly. Yeah, Davison is quickly becoming a superstar. I'm going to say it. He has the potential to become a superstar. He has the backing of an entire nation in Brazil. We know how loyal they are to the Brazilian fighters in the UFC. We've seen it for years. He is quickly becoming a superstar. If he can turn around in three weeks, dominate Moreno again, then we're talking a fight with Cody Garbrandt, who is the biggest name he would ever face. Cody has a huge following. If he can then go on, I know I'm talking in the future here, but if he can beat Cody, this kid, kid, as if he's not 32 years old and in his prime, but you get what I'm saying. Davison, we're talking like, we're talking potential top five star in the UFC. For a flyweight, by the way, which is incredible. I'm so happy that the flyweights are getting their dues paid, it seems like, this year especially. It's a great point. It's a great point, and not to be overlooked in this matchup. We thought, I mean, really, Benavidez should have been potentially the biggest test for Figueredo on his title run, but really Moreno has been hanging around that number one spot for a while now. Kind of being over overlooked and stepped over by maybe bigger name contenders and things like that. And you know, when you had like different guys like Henry Cejudo holding the belt, the division kind of being held up with him and TJ, things like that. Reno finally gets a shot. Like a guy that's been around for a while. He's only twenty six years old, been fighting in the UFC since he was twenty two. Huge, huge moment for him. I'm very excited for this fight, just truthfully. And we'll get into but, more of it in the actual recap. We try yeah. to keep it short breath, but it's hard to, you know? Yeah. As for the rest of the news, we start with former UFC heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum. He is signed with the PFL, a very head-scratching move, interesting move. We'll let you decide. Fabricio, his last fight, he decided to uh, basically starch Alexander Gustafson and, and then Gus's peace out. much hyped heavyweight uh, debut, and then pieced out of the promotion. Now he signs with the PFL, who has been making a lot of negative headlines due to their inability to put on cards and not really allowing their fighters to go into the UFC or Bellator. They've been kind of holding them to these lower promotions. He signs with them and essentially probably going to be the last you really see of him probably in his career here in mm-hmm. the NFL. Uh, they have him. They have Rory McDonald, guys like that. 
still have Kayla Harrison technically, so it's a good signing. I just wonder what it'll really lead to, considering the PFL has not really said much about when cards will be coming back for them. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I thought for sure he would go to Bellator, to be honest. Um, but maybe in terms of money, PFL just kind of intrigued him the most, contract-wise. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sure there's a couple interesting fights out there for Fabricio. This guy's a legend of heavyweight mixed martial arts, of jiu-jitsu. Um, so happy for the guy regardless. Definitely caught me off guard going to PFL. But, um, I mean, there's really just not too much to touch on here. It's interesting. I'm interested to see what they have in store. Clearly, the PFL, although all the controversy for 2020, um, they must have plans for 2021, or else I doubt a guy like Verdum would sign there. So uh, we'll see. They're kind of big on putting on the tournaments style, you know, fights for the title, and then you win and you get a million bucks and all this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what they have planned here. This is another organization that has a lot of, like, up-and-comers for the most part. Um, so for them to sign a veteran like Verdum... And like you said, they have Roy McDonald now, too. It's definitely interesting, but good for the brand and organization once they get back on their feet and kind of just start <clears throat> going again. So, Agreed. I think it's I think it's healthy to have kind of a, a, a mesh of not just up-and-comers, but then you got some veterans, some established stars, things like that. I think it's healthy for them to make those kind of moves. Yep. Probably we'll get into some Bellator news. As Bellator 253 happened on, what day was that? Was that Thursday? Thursday night Bellator action. <clears throat> I came for, I keep, it, it still messes me up that the, these cards are happening on Thursday nights. Big takeaway. AJ McKee. Um, stud. This guy is a stud. 17-0. Tell him about his performance. I don't know what the hell you even call the submission that he did, but he essentially was on his back and did not a guillotine, but a guillotine times a triangle times a bulldog choke times a... I don't know where I'm going with this, but it was the craziest submission. What I would call it is, you know, typically a neck crank. It's like where they they crank the neck like your head like sideways. I would call it like a like a frontward like neck crank because it was essentially like pushing like his head towards his towards his chest so that like his neck literally would just if he didn't tap his neck was really just gonna pop. I mean yeah. his head was gonna pop off his fucking shoulders. Yeah, and, and the way AJ had his legs wrapped in a very specific way, it was a very unique submission. Very unique, very technical still, despite the fact that it's not a very common practice. Yes. But with that, he moves to seventeen and oh, and not only that, Dom, he moves to the finals of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. Well he will be matched up with the winner of Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez. I don't want to look past Emmanuel Sanchez, 20-4 and four on a 3 fight one streak. He has lost to Patricio Pitbull before back in November 2018. That was also for the Featherweight Championship. Unanimous decision loss. But I do just want to say, even though I don't want to look past him, I'm going to look past him just to say, 
AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull. Sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, you know, we, we've been trying to become more engulfed in the Bellator. And if there's a fight that can really win us over and really get us excited to watch, yeah. this would be the kind of fight to do so. Exactly. Pitbull, it's the matchup to make. Yeah, Pitbull right now over there at Bellator, again, this is the champ champ for them at 145 and 155 pounds. He is kind of that guy for Bellator that just looks unbeatable, next level, you know, just levels above the competition. But when he can has the potential to step in here with A.J. McKee, that's where we could really see him get tested for the first time in a while. Um, and although he has to get past Sanchez first, I'm, again, we don't want to overlook anyone. But the potential that this fight can even happen is very exciting and I think does a lot for Bellator as an organization. Agreed. And McKee, man, he's, he's, his last three fights have all been by finish. Back-to-back submissions, the one credited as a neck break and before that the arm bar. Then he had an eight-second knockout. This has all been happening in the Grand Prix. He's putting on – he's literally hitting that – I don't want to say like it's his prime. He's still so young, but – in this Grand Prix, he's just hit another level. Yeah. But Patricio Pitbull might be the best fighter in all of Bellator. Yeah. It's going to be fireworks if that matchup happens. Obviously, Patricio has to get through Emmanuel Sanchez first. So I I, won't, I promise Emmanuel I will not look past you. I'm just, you know. The Patricio McKee matchup is is so exciting. Yes, for sure. So we end our news. I mentioned the PFL. I mentioned a certain fighter in the PFL named uh, Kayla Harrison. She finally got to make her debut for Invicta. This happened Friday night. Dom. She easily made one hundred and forty five pounds. That that's the big takeaway for me. Cost, she literally dominated her opponent easily. Oh, yeah. King, what a tough-ass chick, but the gash on her forehead, it, disgusting. It, it looked like there was a WWE match in that Invicta Octagon with all that blood. Yeah. It looked like yeah. a TLC match just occurred. Yeah, second-round TKO for uh, Kayla here. She's she's ready for prime time. Yes, she is. She's now 8-0, undefeated. She made the featherweight weight limit of 145 pounds, which is very exciting to me in terms of what can happen in the future. She did say after the fight she still has more room to improve. She wants to fight again in Invicta before she goes back to PFL, which essentially means she would have to fight at 145 pounds again. If she can make that two times comfortably without any issue, and we know that she has the potential to get her body to that weight and not impact her performance... This essentially, to me, means that down the line, maybe even near future, not near near future, but near future, she fights her teammate, by the way, at American Top Team. Oh, by the way, that teammate happens to be the greatest women's mixed martial artist of all time, Amanda Nunes. Noah, I know you would be excited for that fight just as much as me, buddy. I definitely am. Uh, I think that would be a great matchup down the line. However, when will it happen? Not sure. That's her contract the status. Question. Her contract status with the PFL is still ongoing, 
and it's unclear what the PFL's plans for her are, and you know that there was the thing with her, along with a few other fighters having a lawsuit against the PFL. The PFL has basically allowed their fighters to fight anywhere but the UFC or Bellator. You had that incident a couple of weeks back when uh, UFC was on Fight Island, where um, I forget what the matchup was, but a fight a, a fight essentially was dropped at the last second because a fighter's contract with the PFL, PFL wouldn't let him fight for the UFC. Yeah, it was the guy that was supposed to fight uh, Cyril Gain. Right. So, because of that, the PFL is essentially allowing them to fight at places like Invicta. But they are not really letting them go to these, you know, the top tier promotions, which is kind of a really doesn't make them look good again. Because <laughs> those are, those big promotions are the ones where these fighters are going to be able to make best money. So again, it's kind of a bad look for me, you know. But I get it; they're in an awkward spot. I just want to see Kayla. Really, I just want to see her work through whatever. Her and the PFL just need to kind of work this thing out so that she can just. I want to see her in the UFC. That's just the reality. In the She's end. in the prime of her career. I need to see her versus Amanda Nunes at 145 pounds. Yeah, the the issue um, has always been that the UFC is not going to make a women's 155 pound lightweight division. That's just not going to happen because there's just not enough women to fill a division. There's already not enough for the UFC to even fill the 145-pound division. They essentially just go one at a time for Amanda. So in order for Kayla to ever be in the UFC or just get one fight in the UFC against Nunes, it will have to be at 145 pounds, which is why, again, I just want to say I'm very happy and excited that she did comfortably make this for the first time this past weekend at Invicta. So we'll just kind of see what happens with her, but... If you don't know Kayla Harrison, you really need to, you know, get on the train now because she is as legit as they come in terms of prospects, essentially, as well. Even though she's she already is, a freaking beast and a champion in the PFL, you know. She is as advertised. Yeah. But, Dom, that is the end of the news. Wow, are we really going there? But we, yes, we did. We we do love the news. We do. But you know what else we love? We love recapping fights. You're damn right. And we had a big one with some big takeaways on Saturday, UFC 255. We broke down six fights. We were so excited. Someone's some now, would say we did it for just for shits and giggles, but I say we did it for the love of the fight game, Noah. In the love of Raw Dog. Yep. The love of Raw Dog, the love of Baby Assassin. Or wait, the Assassin Assassin Baby. baby, That's what it is. Yeah, so we're just going to kind of jump right in here. Let's do it. I'll start by running down kind of the, the, essentially, what our fights were that we broke down and kind of the results of those, and then we'll go one by one. Our main event at flyweight, Davis and Figueredo gets this guillotine choke finish over Alex Perez at approximately two minutes in the first round. Co-main event, women's flyweight, Valentina Shevchenko 
defends her women's flyweight title against Jennifer Maya, 49-46 on all three judges' scorecards. It was both somewhat the most tested Valentina's been at flyweight, yet still such a dominating performance. Yes, very true. Third fight, at catchweight, technically. Supposed to be a welterweight. Tim Means makes that welterweight. Mike Perry weighs about five and a half pounds over, 175 and a half pounds. Tim Means ends up getting a unanimous decision win, 30-27, then 29-28 on the other two judges' scorecards. Fourth fight, women's flyweight again. Caitlin Chukagian, the former title challenger, going up against Cynthia Calvillo, who had made her debut over the summer, headlining against Jessica I, got a big one there. However, she got beat pretty easily here by Chukagian, a tough matchup for anybody. Chukagian gets the unanimous decision nod, 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards. We opened the main card with a rematch at light heavyweight. Paul Craig, Mauricio Shogun, who are the legend. Paul Craig gets the TKO. A lot of people didn't see that coming. Second round, three and a half minutes in. Mauricio even tapped to strikes. Crazy. And the sixth fight, it was the prelim headliner. Brandon versus Brandon. Brandon won. Marino won. <laughs> Beat TKO with literally a second left in the first round against Brandon Roy Bell. That was also at men's flyweight. That's why Moreno and Davison will be fighting next month. Yep. So, Dom, we're going to start with Brandon Squared here. Give me your thoughts on this fight. Uh, I think there's some takeaways here for sure. This Brandon Roy Bell really just likes these crazy first round fights. Um, this first round was absolutely insane while it lasted. Uh, crazy striking exchanges. I did think Roy Val definitely got the better of those. However, <coughs> we did see uh, a very grapple-heavy fight the latter half of the round, which I did anticipate to happen at some point throughout the fight. Um, and they both looked very good. However, Moreno controlled a lot of that ground time. And then, unfortunately, during a transition... Royval popped his shoulder out of socket, screamed literally middle of the, you know, transition, and with about 10 seconds left, this happened. Moreno pounces immediately, notices something's wrong, goes in for the vicious ground and pound TKO, and gets the fight stopped. Four minutes and 59 seconds into round one, a TKO finish for Brandon Moreno. Uh, Moreno looked like a stud by all means. I don't want to take anything away from him. However, it really sucks here for Roy Val, a guy that was really fighting well during this round, was having his biggest test and passing it. Uh, very competitive. And you just can't help sometimes when things like this happen. His shoulder pops out of place. Had the round ended, they would have popped it back in and he would have probably continued on fighting. Probably wouldn't have had a great performance that second and third round, but with the heart of Roy Val, I don't doubt he still would have performed at a high level. But needless to say, Moreno looked good. I don't want to take anything away from him. And I'm very happy that Moreno now gets his title shot against Davison. Yeah, it's uh, it was disappointing for me as such a big fan of uh, Raw Dog Roy Val uh, for him to come up short. However, 
he showed me a lot of wanted when the fight was on the feet mm-hmm. he definitely looked more comfortable Reno was trying to counter strike quite a bit but he was just didn't seem to be quite fast enough with the striking to really keep up with Roy Val but Moreno did a great job getting it to the ground. He even had uh, Roy Val stuck in like a twister position at some point. Did never, did never actually pull the trigger on that submission. But just funny to hear that it was there. I saw a lot of tweets about Bryce Mitchell and Korean Zombie and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Joe so. Rogan was like in pain watching it. He's <laughs> like, "The twister is right here. Just do it." Yeah, it was pretty comical. Yeah, and uh. Just to kind of cap off, like, the disappointment being that we didn't get to really see a second or third round, which could have went either way because Roy Val's shoulder pops out of place. Uh, It is what it is. The stoppage was very fair. You didn't hear Roy Val or his corner debated at all. I mean, Roy Val definitely looked like he was in a bad way when he first finished that fight. For Moreno, you got to be happy to see that guy getting the title shot that he already deserved. But for Roy Val, I don't think this fight's going to halt his momentum as much as, uh, you know, it really shouldn't halt it at all. Just no, not at all. The, the, the two-fight run he went on before that was incredible. I think he looks to bounce back here pretty soon. Matchup I go with Mr. Joseph Benavidez, who technically is tied for number one ranking at men's flyweight. So, just throwing that out there. I think Roy Val, it's it's really either him or there's a couple other matchups, but I, I, I like Joseph Benavidez being that bigger name so that Roy Val could have a chance to really elevate himself if he was to win. Yeah, I, I definitely like that idea. Uh, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. For me, my number one option for Roy Val here is the loser of the title fight against Davison, uh, being Alex Perez. Uh, I really um, became a fan of Alex throughout this week with the embeddeds, the countdown, um, just everything, how he presents himself, a soon-to-be father, by the way, which is exciting. And uh, I think he has a lot of potential. Noah and I were talking before we recorded how we think he does have potential to become a champion down the line. I think we both feel the same way about Roy Val. So I think Roy Val and Perez would be a very fun fight, very interesting stylistically. Um, So that's what I would go with here, but you can't go wrong with either one of them. Maybe even a sleeper for uh, Askar Askarov even. That's the other one I was thinking of. I didn't know where you were going to go there with with Askarov or... uh... Alex Perez, so I, I thought I would let you talk first, but yeah, Askarov could be interesting. Th- there's definitely a lot of options here for Roy Val. A lot of people like watching Roy Val, and it just leans more into that. The flyweight division right now is really at the top, or not at the top, but it's just uh, its highest point that it's been in a very long time, if not ever. So uh, a lot of exciting matchups here that can be made, uh, and this was a great fight, and I'm so glad we wanted to cover this because it, it was really a, what we looked forward to probably the most out of all of these fights. Unfortunate it ended the way it did, but that's just the way it is sometimes. Still a great first round, though. It's, it's you know, it's disappointing, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't feel like the fight, the, we still got a great first round. It's not like the whole fight was compromised because of the injury. 
it's just kind of a fluky thing that happened at the end of the round. Hopefully Roy Bell could heal up pretty quick. Uh, I know their you know, shoulder got popped back into place, but you know there's some labrum damage potentially when that happens. So we'll see. Hopefully he won't be out too long, though. Yeah, for sure. So we open our main card again with Paul Craig, Shogun Hua, their rematch. The first fight happening about a year ago. That fight was fight of the night. This one, not quite. Um, not a bad fight by any means, but the biggest takeaway for me, uh, Paul Craig did look very clean, very good everywhere the fight went. He looked faster. He looked stronger. He looked more precise. He was more active. He was, you could tell who had really improved since the first fight. Yeah. Shogun being older. That was my other big takeaway. Uh, Shogun as Dana White said in his post-fight press conference, I completely agree. Um, I think it's probably time to hang him up. I probably should have thought more about the last time I saw Shogun fight. It was on the Robert Whitaker, Darren Till card. He co-mained against uh, Noguera. And that was the fight where both guys just looked old and out of their, like, they just really didn't look like they should be fighting anymore kind of forgot about that one while I was breaking this down on Friday. I'd like to see uh, Shogun retire, I believe. Yeah, uh, I agree with you here. Well, it was cool here, too, for Craig. Um, for being such a grapple-heavy fighter, he looked very comfortable on the feet. Yes, um, he did. The first round was very grapple-heavy, <clears throat> however, and they both looked comfortable wherever the fight went. Now, I say comfortable being like they didn't look out of place. However, it is clear that Paul Craig looked like the more dominant fighter uh, throughout. Shogun didn't necessarily look bad in the first round until, I guess, the latter half. But he still ended the round on top. But the second round is, I guess, where it really came in. And you're like, okay, Craig is the superior fighter here. He dominated the second round. He took the back of uh, Shogun very easily. Landed heavy ground and pound all the way to the point where Shogun literally tapped to strikes, which you don't see happen very often. And uh, it was three minutes and 36 seconds into round number two, a TKO. Uh, Paul Craig looked fantastic. I agree with Noah. What should be next for Shogun? I believe that is retirement. He's a legend of mixed martial arts, and you can't take that away from him. For Paul Craig, I love him and Jimmy Crute. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I think that's an awesome fight, and especially now that we're looking, you know, we just saw Ryan Spann is booked. Misha Serkinov's booked. He's already beaten Magomed Ankalev. Hello, Jimmy Crute. Uh, I think that's an awesome fight, and that's what I would do next for Paul Craig. Interesting matchup. I, I don't dislike the Jimmy Crute matchup at all. This is a hard guy to place in this division right now because uh, whether you agree with it or not, and I don't tend to be someone who does, a lot of matchmaking tends to be based on kind of where their the trajectory or where the where their career is trending at the time. So a guy coming off a loss will typically fight down. A guy coming off a win will technically fight will typically fight forward. You're talking about rankings, anyways. Paul Craig being 15, everybody's forward who's ranked, but a lot of these guys are already booked. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Crew really does make the most sense right now. 
A big um, test for Jimmy Crute, too. Or either that or a rematch with uh, Magomed Amkalev. Mm-hmm. And um, either one of those would be cool. But I, I like him. I'll go with him and Jimmy Crute. Two younger guys with somewhat opposing styles. And I think that uh, see some fireworks in that one. I would really like to see Jimmy Crute get tested there as well. Especially now with this hype around him. You keep mentioning that ESPN MMA article. Um, I think that's a very interesting fight stylistically. A test for both guys and to see where they can kind of go next and and get out of that top 15 into that top 10. Agree. Our next fight, Caitlin Chukagian, Cynthia Calvillo. Just going to be a non-stop. Um, didn't have a ton of takeaways here. I mean, really the fight went exactly how you predicted it, so yeah. I'm sure you might feel somewhat the same. But for me, I simply thought Calvillo did not do enough. Uh, that was I my agree big more. takeaway. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, this really went exactly how I envisioned this fight going. I just thought Caitlin's length, her reach, her height would be too much. Uh, Cynthia's very grapple-heavy, not a great striker. I knew Caitlin was going to be able to outstrike her on the feet, uh, pick her shots more, and Cynthia just couldn't wrestle. She couldn't make the adjustments to do it. She couldn't close the distance. And Caitlin dominated this fight in every sense of the word. Caitlin looked very confident. Um, she knew what she had to do. Uh, there really, there wasn't even a close round. Round two was relatively close, but Caitlin secured it for me. I had her up three, one. She got a 30, 27 from all three judges, unanimous decision. Uh, I feel good, uh, for Caitlin. I'm very happy for her. She's actually 31. I, for some reason last night, I thought she was like 34 or 35. I don't know why. So she's only 31. We've mentioned a lot how she's kind of taking it fight by fight right now, uh, wanting to become a mother. However, after last night, she seemed really rejuvenated. She really seemed happy with her performance, rightfully so. The question is, who do you really do with her? I guess, in my head, the only option is Lauren Murphy. Um, yeah, yeah that, that was one that stuck out to me, too. I, that is, like, the only option that would make sense to me. I don't remember off the top of my head if they fought each other. I don't think they have, which is interesting because these both have been staples of this relatively new flyweight division. In front of Caitlin at number one is Andrade. She's going to fight Valentina next. Behind Caitlin is Jennifer Maya. Caitlin's already beaten her. Then you've got Cynthia at number four. Caitlin beat her. Then you got Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy, by the way, who's on a tear right now, was calling for a title shot. She's on a four-fight win streak. I think you have to do Lauren Murphy and Caitlin Chukagian. And essentially, that's a number one contender fight. Because um, for Caitlin, I know she just lost to Valentina back in February. Um, but this would essentially give her a two-fight win streak, with her only loss being against Andrade since Valentina. And for Lauren Murphy... If she were to beat Caitlyn, it would be the biggest name on her resume, and it would be five fights in a row. So that's a number one contender fight in my eyes. Um, that's what I'm going with. I'm not even really going to give another option for Caitlyn. As for Cynthia, she's kind of in an awkward spot. Go ahead. I got JoJo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. I'm obviously a big fan of JoJo for many reasons. We don't want to get into the UFC 203 debacle. Um, but I think Cynthia and Joanne Calderwood makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I was going to say Jennifer Maya, but I don't really think so. Uh, maybe, but Jennifer just came off a title shot. Uh, maybe. Maybe Cynthia, Jennifer Maya, but I like Cynthia and JoJo. I think that's a good fight. Um, have they fought in the past at strawweight? I don't remember. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't have my notes. If they have, then it would change me to pick probably Calvia Maya, but I don't right. know for sure. Um, but yeah, either way, Cynthia... It's so strange. Like, she's 33, but has I feel like she's always just looked at as this prospect. But then after last night, she really got shut down. So she's in a tough spot. She, by all means, could go on a tear. You never know what can happen. But uh, Caitlin just looked like the superior fighter last night, to be honest. More experience. Been in there with the tougher fighters, and she showed it last night. Shout out uh, to I saw a tweet from Ariel Hawani, and it, it summed it up pretty well. that It, it seems like this division has been trying to move away yeah. Caitlin Chukagian, and she just keeps... Whenever they she try, she gets that big it. win. Yeah, and um, I don't want to take anything away from her performance. It was very crisp, very clean. She did it. I mean, it was a very clean performance. She yeah. really didn't get hit very much. She essentially implemented her game plan, enforced her will on Cynthia Calvillo, who was a dangerous fighter that was trying to make a big splash in this division. For Cynthia, though, man, it's uh, that was a disappointing one. Yeah, that was very disappointing. Um, not just the fact that she lost, it was how she lost. It was the lack of adjustments, the lack of any sort of output, really, at all. I mean, she was trying to trade with uh, Chukagian on the feet. Chukagian kept her at distance. You know, she's a longer, better reach, bigger fighter. Cynthia just kind of allowed herself to be kept at the distance, kept in Chukagian's range, and was forced to try to lunge in with her shots, allowed her to be countered, never, just didn't look good. Never really tried to go for the takedown, which you would have thought would have been her really Bread way butter. to victory here. Yeah, yeah it would yeah. have been her way to victory here. Just not the most promising performance for maybe future title aspirations yeah i i couldn't agree more with how you put it we go on to tim means mike perry it's a catchweight fight dom this was my fight of the night if we're going off of the main card yeah um this was as expected maybe not as crazy but still pretty crazy um what surprised me was mr mike perry in round one came out and looked really sharp with wrestling, Noah, uh, and attempted a rear naked <clears throat> choke, had over two minutes of ground control time. I had him, I gave him round one. Yeah. Uh, I know two judges scored at 29-28, so uh, two judges gave him round one as well. But uh, after that, it was all Tim Means. Uh, Tim Means had a big bounce back round in round number two. His jab was so clean and crispy last night. He pieced up. That was up nasty. Very, yeah, his jab was very nice. Um, and for Perry, he he didn't look like the usual Perry on the feet. This is a guy that usually At goes all. to war. Um, so round two was very convincing. Round three was an absolute war. Um, both, it was one-to-one. -one. Both guys knew it. We're going in there for the finish. Tough as nails, both of these guys. Uh, loved everything about round number three. 
Uh, Tim Means did edge it out, in my opinion. I scored it 2-1 to one for Tim Means. Uh, the judges' scorecards, again, it was 30-27, and then two judges scored at 29-28. Unanimous decision for Tim Means. A true veteran, man. That was his, like, 44th career fight, 45th, something like that. Uh, this was a great fight. It lived up to the hype. It probably was, honestly, the fight of the night if we're talking the main card. Um, and for Means, it's interesting for him because this is a guy that's a veteran, been there and done that with a lot of big-name guys. But I don't think he really justifies the top 15 after beating a guy like Mike Perry. I mean, maybe, but this welterweight division is so stacked right now. Maybe, hear me out here, Tim means Robbie Lawler. Maybe. Again, Robbie was the original fight for Mike Perry here, so it would sort of make sense for Tim Means to do that. Uh, otherwise, I would say just another fight or two um, before you really go into rankings. Uh, for Perry, I don't know what to do with this guy. Uh, he's now 7-7 seven and seven in the UFC. Uh, so much controversy outside of the octagon and just antics and you know, you want to like the guy, and then things happen, and you're like, oh, you know, the, the missing the weight and all this stuff. Um, but he always puts on fun fights, and that's kind of how Dana White worded it last night in the post-fight presser. I don't really have a plan in mind for what's next for Mike Perry, so I'm not, I'm not going to matchmake here. But I'm just intrigued at what the UFC does with him, to be honest with you. Yeah, I... It was fight of the night, but... Tim Means really was the the star of this fight. Uh, he, again, that jab was disgusting mm. the whole time. Truly I'd love to see his uh, percentage landed from last yeah. night. Yeah, it, it had to have been super high, yeah. man. I mean, Harry's striking defense was pretty much nowhere to be found. A lot of that beat him because Tim Means did have the reach advantage, so Mike Barry trying to find his way inside. What? really was obvious to me is for whatever improvements Mike Perry made in his ground game, he definitely did not have the same level of striking you've seen from him. Sure, he's never really been a guy that's been high on the technique, but his punches were sloppy, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Not good at all. I mean, a lot of arm punches just – really basic stuff that you don't want to be seeing in a guy fighting in the premier promotion of the world. I, in the back of my head, I didn't really say this, but I had a feeling that if Mike Perry had lost this fight, that he would end up being cut. Mm -hmm. However, Dana's comments about him tell me otherwise. Right. And he is, an, he is a guy that's usually in exciting fights. This one was by no means his most exciting, but it was it was the best fight of the main card, I thought. It was a good fight. And Perry didn't even look good in it. Right. So it's obvious the UFC wants to keep him around just to kind of... He's a, he's a pretty decent name at this point due to a lot of his controversy and just for being the kind of finisher he is in the octagon. But... Not a promising performance. I would also say his physique, he did not look near as... Uh, yeah, he didn't look like he has in past fights. I noticed that as well. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that this guy can get the right corner, the right 
GM around him, the right team around him, because still has some potential to make some waves in, you know, any of his divisions. But if we go off Saturday, I, I'm i not too confident in the future of Mike Perry in the promotion. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Tim Means, though. Guy was outweighed by five and a half pounds. Yeah. Took that took that thirty percent purse and gave Mike Perry a broken nose and head out. Yeah, really did. So we move on to our co main event. Valentina Shevchenko dominating performance over Jennifer Maya. I'm just gonna start here and say Valentina was dominant. And it's funny how she's gotten to this this status where she's so dominant that the MMA world essentially lost their minds at the idea at the fact that she lost a round. Yeah, yeah. Not only did she lose that second round, Noah, but she like, I mean, she was controlled and yeah. easily. I don't want to say she got like dominated. It's it's not like Jennifer landed like a bunch of big shots or something, but Jennifer easily won that second round it was strange um a quick round by round just analysis from my standpoint round one valentina lands an early takedown and has four plus minutes of control time you're like okay she's gonna dominate this whole fight so she's up 1-0 easy but then like i said round two jennifer comes out and looks incredible uh holds uh she was definitely the stronger woman Jennifer Maya looks like she could make bantamweight, in my opinion. She's very muscular, very thick. Uh, and this is coming from, you know, Valentina's a strong woman. Um, and she was definitely, Jennifer was the stronger woman in this fight physically. Held uh, Valentina up against the cage, then ends up taking her down and holds her down on the ground. So Maya has four plus minutes of control time in round two. Then all of a sudden, it's, it's one to one going into round three. But from here on out, Valentina from round three four and five got better each round she looked better and better and better more crisp more clean more powerful better wrestling every round she got better um so for round three she had uh she landed the left hook a lot last night on the feet with ease Uh, i noticed that a lot she landed a lot of big left hooks set it up with takedown she had two plus minutes of control time in round three Round four, she dominated the entire round again. More control time for Valentina. And then round five was the only round of this fight that stayed on the feet the whole round. And uh, Valentina is just, she's on a different level when it comes to striking, man. We're talking about a, like, 17-time or something crazy Muay Thai world champion. She's just, she outstruck Jennifer. Uh, she started piecing her up. Jennifer started to get busted up in that fifth round. And credit to Valentina, she knew she was up 3-1 to one going into that fifth round and never took her foot off the gas. If anything, she went all out in round five more than any other round. She kept going for that finish. She kept landing strikes. Um, looked very good in that round five. That was the most convincing round for me. That was that Valentina round, you know, that we're so used to seeing. Clear cut, 49-46 on all three scorecards. That's how I scored it on verdict. I'm sure that's how you scored it. That's how everybody scored it. Um, So, yeah, it was weird. Like you mentioned early when we started the podcast, Valentina looked so dominant, but yet looked beatable 
for five minutes. Uh, but outside yeah. of that, she looked like Valentina. I, I will also say, I, I thought, I don't know if this can be attributed to maybe her, uh, maybe some sort of ring rust, because she, you know, she, she did have a pretty decent gap between her last fight and here. I, I wonder if maybe uh, that first round, though, it seemed like she was just slower than I'm used to seeing her, just not quite as clean in her striking. Um, she won the round, but again, that just, uh, again, speaks to she's on a whole other level than the rest of this competition. But I like to make note that, you know, it, she definitely improved as the fight went on. After those first two rounds, the rest was easy piece of cake for her but uh trying to th- try to think of uh a matchup for jennifer maya here yeah i mean this is kind of tough right because we've been matchmaking for caitlin cynthia lauren murphy um <laughs> give me give me jennifer maya jessica i yeah you could do that the problem is Jessica I is having some pretty serious health problems right now, so I'm not sure when she'll be ready to be back. All uh, right. Another one. I know she's ranked third, so you know she might not want to go too far down. But um, I won't say that she's she's beat Roxanne Montefiore twice, so I ain't about to tell her to beat her a third yeah, time. She's in but. a tough spot, man. I, I'm on. I, Maybe she just goes like loser of Chukagian and Murphy, assuming those two fight. Um, I, Jennifer and Lauren Murphy haven't fought, but Jennifer's fought Caitlin. That's kind of like the only thing I've got in my head right now, to be honest with you. And then obviously yeah. for Valentina, it's it's Andrade. Um, I want to note, by the way, it finally got put into the atmosphere last night. No, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you saw this or not, but if you didn't, you're gonna you're gonna love this. All right. They asked, which as anticipated, does Valentina Amanda part three make sense considering how close the first two fights were? Dana's like, yeah, blah 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 blah. Uh, he talked about Andrade being next, rightfully so. That's going to be a great fight, especially after last night. That second round leaves some suspicion like oh there's some holes in valentina's game but then you see the rest of the fight and you're like she has no holes um andrage presents a unique challenge for anyone however so valentina and andrage is definitely next very exciting fight hopefully that happens soon valentina said she wants a quick turnaround uh because she was off for nine months but mr dana white said that if valentina were to beat andrage and miss Li Zhang were to beat Rose in a fight that he said was coming up soon, by the way. He said the super fight that would happen, or that makes more sense over Valentina and Amanda, is Valentina versus Wei Li Zhang. And no, I just wanted to dump that on your plate in case you didn't hear it last night, because I know that you may have just made a very excited face. However, I cannot <laughs> see you, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I did watch the post-fight press conference that Dana had where he uh, said that. I was so happy to hear that. That's the first time I think he's ever really put that out there as just I agree. a thing in his head. So I, I, I think it's been, maybe he said it before, but I, I can't recall. And I, I just know that when I heard it, it just like, when I first heard the question about Amanda versus her, 
I really have no interest in seeing that fight again. And it's not even like Valentina was competitive in both. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not her weight class. Valentina was always small for that class, and the fact that she beat the level of competition that she did at 135 is very impressive. But 125 is where she belongs. Sorry for cutting you off. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Uh, I can't agree more. It's just neither. The problem is, is that neither of the first two fights, the second one I know is debatable on if Amanda actually won or not. But neither fight was really that good. And it's both... it's almost like the uh, Volkanovski Holloway thing, where it's like Amanda's already won twice, so like, why do we do a trilogy? If you, if you do a trilogy, it's supposed to be one to one. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just like I don't have as great as a fight as it would probably be. I'm with you here. I just don't have interest in that for a third time. Yeah, but Valentina Whaley Jang, <laughs> give me that. Give me that over to summer, just like I said way back when. I've said it multiple times. Give me that this summer. What a fight that will be if it actually comes true. But Valentina Shevchenko has got to get through Jessica Andrade first. And Wei Li Zhang has to get through Rose Namajunas. For all we know, Andrade beats Shevchenko. Rose beats Wei Li. Then we got Rose going up to 125 to finish off a trilogy. Oh! Andrade, champ champ. Noah dropping just, woo, I didn't even think about that, boy. One of the most unexpected trilogies in UFC history. And, and yet, honestly, I would love it. I would love it. Wow. Especially that Andrade and Rose second fight. Oh, fight of the night on Fight Island over there. That was an incredible yeah. fight. Here we are on a tangent, and my goodness, I'm glad you brought that up. Woo! Yeah. Woo! What a thing to just the, put into the, the atmosphere. The, 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 the strawweight and um, flyweight women's divisions are just looking so good right now. I know yeah. flyweight's not super stacked as far as uh, from top to bottom, but that top, oh, yeah. it's There's a lot of options, especially when you have someone like Andrade making that move to flyweight. It's, yeah. These Those two title fights are going to be two of my biggest uh, fights I'm going to see in 2021. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. But, tangent aside, we'll go on to the main event. Davidson Figueredo, Alex Perez, Dom, I mean, what can really be said here? Alex Perez, he kind of did some things that I thought he might do. Figueredo has a very wide stance due to just the power, his size, the way that he moves. Leaves him, the le- that leaves him susceptible to leg kicks. If you have a wide stance, you can't really check kicks as properly as you would if you had a more normal stance because it leaves you off balance. Uh, Figgy didn't look like he had quite that same wide stance. Maybe that was just a, a call he had made in training. Um, but Perez landed some really nice, like they both were trading leg kicks early on and they were, the thud of all of those was freaking amazing to hear. Just furthering my love of the, 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 these cards with no fans in the, the audience and stuff. But Perez is able to get the fight to the ground 
and you see Figueredo pull off an amazing counter maneuver oh. to really flip the position and immediately transition it into a guillotine choke. So seamless. It was beautiful. I, I, you couldn't have really worded it better. It was flawless. I don't even know how he went from being on his back to flipping to the leg. And then all of a sudden he was on uh, Alex Perez's neck and had a guillotine locked in. It happened within like 10 seconds. It was mind-blowing stuff. Yeah. And it's disappointing for Perez because, you know, he didn't really get the chance to really show off a ton. But it was enough to where it was like, okay, you know, he, you had to respect him in this fight. And I know it ended in two minutes, but... Man, he was close to getting his head out, too. That was the he thing. Was, and I'm going to say, had he not tried to stand up, I think he would have popped it out. For whatever reason, I, I don't know if Perez was maybe trying to maybe do a slam or whatever it was, but Perez, with his strong you know, core and upper body strength, was able to hold on even when Perez lifted up. And from there, that just tightened it. That just made it worse. His neck was cranked more, cut off the blood way quicker. And as soon as he stood up, he had the tap. But yeah, to your point, when it was actually on the ground, so essentially Perez in full guard, like a normal guillotine that we see that Figueiredo had locked in, Perez was so close. I remember watching it, and I was like, he's going to pop out. He's going to get out. And then he stood up, and Davison just synced it in tighter, and that was it. That just shows It was like the, the, uh, the part uh, when Ortega had the guillotine on Cub Swanson, and when, yeah. when Cub was standing up, he, like, was freaking out, had to tap immediately. So I don't know if it's something with just the tension there, that when you're standing up, it just sinks in tighter, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, completely agree with you there. It's It really shows the, the strength of someone like Figueredo to be able to finish that choke when it's really not fully locked in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to have half your head out and you're still having to tap, that's that's – that guy has some serious strength, and he once again is showing what a killer he is in this division. Everybody thought Perez was going to get knocked out. Figueredo comes through with the submission, just keeping everybody on their, on their toes on how he's going to finish these fights. Yep. He actually said, predicted a submission finish by uh, going in. So um, call him Mystic Mac, I guess, because uh, he predicts these things. Now, I want to give a shout-out real quick to our good buddy, Jake. Um he, we got him to download the Verdict MMA app, and he predicted perfectly Figueredo first-round submission, bet the house on it, like all of his XP available. Got like 4,000 XP just for that fight, and our good friend Jake won his first championship belt on Verdict. So I'm very jealous, uh, but also happy for him. You know, we, we like getting our friends into all this MMA stuff, so I think... You know, that's really cool for us. You know, that's kind of our whole point of this podcast is just sharing our love and knowledge and passion for this. So uh, shout out to our friend Jake there getting his first belt on Verdict MMA. Well said, well said. Now, as for uh, Figueredo, he's going to have his hands full with Brandon Moreno next month. Yes. But the other end here, you got Alex Perez. There's a couple matchups. I've got two. I have two as well, but I, I, I want to go with one that I don't think you're going to have here. Okay. I'm actually going to put him with Kai Kara France. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, both guys coming off of losses, both very uh, fan-friendly styles. 
they both put on a show. I think you could really see some wild stuff there. You got the kicks of Perez. Kara France, man, that guy's awesome. I love Kara France. Yep. He really finished Troy Val, so he's got some power in his shots. I like that matchup. The other one was Askar Askarov, by the yep. way. But yep. I feel bad that I'm kind of leaving Askarov out of my uh, predictions here, but I almost, the more I'm thinking about it, I said Roy Val Benavidez. kind of want to see Roy Val Askarov the more I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But uh, definitely give me Perez and Kara France. I, I like both those guys. That's yeah. definitely a fun, like, sleeper fight. That's fun. Um, for me, I already talked about one. It, Roy Val um, would make sense. Roy Val losing to Moreno, who's now the new number one contender. Perez losing to the champion. However, the fight I actually want to see more, because I really like Perez. And I think he just deserves to stay in that top five talk. I would do him and Askar Askarov. Um, they have not fought each other. Askar is undefeated with one draw on his record, which was with Moreno. So Askar is arguably ready for a title shot anyways. However, if he were to be able to beat Perez, he's right there ready for Figueiredo and Moreno, even though it looks like Cody's going to get a shot before him. And for Perez, it's a guy coming off a title fight loss, but before that was on a, you know, a win streak. If he can take... Askarov's zero and turn that into his first professional loss that'd be huge for Perez and a way for to say you know hey I'm still right here um so that's kind of my number one option but if not Askar I would do Roy Val I think that's a really fun fight what's funny is with a loss like this uh, you never want to obviously lose but uh the way he lost to Figueredo it wasn't a domination you know no. Figueredo uh Perez you know had he was doing well, really. He got caught in a submission, and it was just kind of done. And Yeah, and striking-wise, I mean, neither really. They both landed they shots, both, but like. They both landed some really tough leg kicks. It's yeah. just, so Perez really could, if you were going to lose, he kind of did it the right way almost to where you could sell another pay-per-view with those two headlining. Yeah, I mean, Perez can easily bounce back quickly. Quick turnaround. Yeah, so I, I don't think he's too stuck, his, you know, for however long uh, Figgy's going to be hanging around at flyweight. I, I don't think he's um, – I don't think Perez is, like, doomed to not get a title fight until Davison's out of the title picture. But, but, yeah, it's, um, it's similar to kind of uh, when Gaethje lost to Habib, how he got – you know, submitted, obviously, he went to sleep. But before that, didn't take too much damage um, and literally said, you know, if I'm going to lose, this is kind of the best way for me. You know, I didn't take much damage. I got submitted. And, uh, yeah, give me six to eight weeks and I'm ready. So that's kind of what I'm thinking here for Perez as well. I know he's got the baby on the way. I don't know if he wants to wait or get one more in. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Perez could easily turn around quickly and uh, still carry on this top-tier competition that he's been fighting. 100%. But that is the end of our recap of UFC 255. We closed the book on this chapter, Dom. Yes, this we chapter do. is done. We move on. Now, Wednesday, my friends. Oh, yes. This episode is a little extra special. Say it ain't so. Oh, say it ain't so? Well, guess what, Dom? We have a new series. Ah, 
Love it. Yes. What this would that episode, be, Noah? This series is debuting on my birthday. Hello. The big 23. And we're going big. Oh, of course. We have to now. This series is simply called The State of... Dot, dot, dot. Dot, blank. And what does that... What does that entail, you might ask? Well, it can be a lot of things. It can, we can go as big as we want with it. We can go as small as we want with it. The state of is essentially us kind of in a free-form talking setting like we normally do. We can go as big as the state of the UFC or yeah. the state of Bellator MMA or the state of MMA in general. Yeah, yeah. Or... We can go as in depth on like the state of a certain fighter, the state of Habib Nurmagomedov, the state of Conor McGregor, the state of a division. And I think that's a good way to segue into what, what this first episode is going to be. We talked a lot about this division here. I think it's best that we uh, elaborate. Yeah, we're, we're this- coming fresh off of Flyweight Night, essentially, is what we titled this UFC 255 pay per view. Yep. So Wednesday, we're debuting the, the the state of series with the state of the men's flyweight division. Uh, this will be a great episode to learn more about the history of this division, the trials, the tribulations, the triumphs it's had along the way, and kind of the future outlook. And I th- I think we're going to do a great job on this one because we we've really grown to love this division. I mean, this was a division I used to make fun of. Yeah. I used to say, like, oh, I don't want to watch kids fighting, you know, all this shit. Like, I used to be one of those guys. It's quickly turned around, especially this year. It's been one of the more exciting divisions to watch. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited to get into breaking down just the state of where it's at now and where it really what led up to this point. Yeah. So check that out on Wednesday and then Friday. That's right, three episodes this week. Oh, yeah. That's yes. what you all get. We're previewing our next fight night, headlined by a big matchup at heavyweight. Curtis, Razor, Blades, Derek, the Black Beast, Lewis. It's number two versus number four at heavyweight. Possible title implications. Yeah, th- this is a fight that you and I both pitched in our inaugural pilot episode of the podcast, Noah. This is true. And here we are in the end of November, and we're getting it. And I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't either. It's For heavyweight, it's one of the few matchups in this top echelon of guys we haven't seen yet. And also, technically, Derek Lewis has a win over Mr. Francis Ngannou. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to constitute it as a win. (laughs) Yeah, that should technically make my notable wins for him on Friday, but I don't even know if I want to put it. <laughs> yeah. However, he hasn't lost to Yanni, let's put it that way. Ah. Unlike uh, Curtis Blades. Very true. So, a win for Derek Lewis, and we could be looking at a potential, uh, some some title madness there, depending on what happens with Stipe and Yanni and John Jones. It's all a mess. We'll talk about it on Friday. Absolutely. <laughs> But, Dom, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at dsalee14. 
And you can find our podcast on Twitter and Instagram at B-A-J underscore M-M-A podcast. And as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at N-T Baker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which will provide you with links to every platform we are on. The Twitter, the Instagram are on there, along with the YouTube channel, the Anchor page, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast. It's all on there. Also, a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides us with a few dollars of support a month. All that money goes back into improving the podcast, whether it be the audio equipment or down the line doing a video podcast. Any amount would be appreciated, but we just appreciate you all watching and showing the love and support you have so far. But again, to find all those, you just go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. But with that, we're out, and we're going to see you all on Wednesday, baby.